Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, school's in session for most Utah students, with many of those kids already looking out the window, waiting for recess. Uh, Congress has likewise left the building in Washington, D.C. for the August recess. Uh, But as is always the case, uh, that is uh, matched by the reality that uh, the recess headline for Congress is always met by the reality of what it really is, and that's an in-state work period. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, it is in-state work period, properly uh, declared uh, for members of Congress, and we're very pleased to have joining us in studio today, Utah Senator Mitt Romney. Uh, during this recess, which we know is a lot of work, you've been traveling the state already, you got a lot of things ahead of you, but we appreciate you joining us in studio today. Thank you, Boyd. Good to be with you again. All right, so let's dive right into it. Obviously, this week, uh, the uh, interestingly named <laughs> No Truth in Advertising uh, <laughs> Inflation Reduction Act uh, bill has been passed by both houses with uh, solely Democratic votes signed by the president this week. Uh, Let's start with the climate component to that. It seems to be what the Democrats are most touting. Uh, What does that really mean? What did you see in there when you actually looked at the legislative text? Does this really help? Is this just more spending? Well, first of all, you're right. It, it is not a bill to reduce inflation. Anytime the federal government is spending more money, that is not reducing inflation. It is causing more inflation. So it's improperly named. But, you know, in politics, you try and perfume the pig, and that's what they've, <laughs> what they've done. Uh, with regards to climate, you know, there's some things that are probably helpful, uh, which is basic research, looking at nuclear power, mm-hmm. at hydrogen-based power, um, Geothermal power. There's some opportunities there for innovation that may well provide additional sources of renewable energy for us. That's good. That's good. But there's a lot that just doesn't make a lot of sense. So spending billions and billions of dollars to give people subsidies to buy electric cars when, by the way, you can't find an electric car right now. They're all You can't get them because they can't get the batteries. They can't get the batteries because guess where the batteries come from? All the materials that go into these batteries in electric cars come from China. China either owns the mining or they own the processing, Mm. virtually 100%. So we're moving from basically an economy, a transportation economy that was driven by oil and gas that we produce here in the U.S. We're the largest oil and gas producer in the world. Mm. So we're moving from that to things that are produced from China. So in effect, we're creating a a, a one-nation OPEC, and the nation is China. So we got to think about this and – I'm concerned that the legislation passed with regards to environment 
Uh, it gives China a stronger hand, uh, put, mm-hmm. puts us in a subservient position to China, uh, and at the same time doesn't really deal with the global issues that are associated with climate change. Yeah, and so many of those, uh, we look at the legislation, we look at places like Germany who had a very aggressive green energy approach to thing and, and literally slashed uh, nuclear power and a host of things, and now they are more dependent than ever on Russian oil and gas, uh, and that's obviously caused a, a whole host of problems there. Are we doing the same thing when it comes to, to China and what we're trying to do and maybe the way we're going about uh, doing that? Well, there's no question in my mind but that we're going down that same road. We, we all want renewables. We all want better batteries. We all want battery-driven cars, except let's stop and say who has all the minerals that those batteries require. Yeah. And perhaps we in this country should say we're going to develop those minerals ourselves or we're going to go to other free countries. But if they're coming 100 percent from China, that's a problem. Yeah. we got to think that through and make sure the steps we're taking are logical and connected. And putting ourselves in a setting where we're in a subservient role to China is a very dangerous thing to do, particularly as they're looking to potentially invade their neighbor, Taiwan. Mm. And as you know, we get our high-tech computer chips from Taiwan. They have an overwhelmingly dominant position in that business. If China takes them over, we'll be even more Mm. subservient to China. So there are a lot of reasons for us to say, look, let's plan this out. Let's think about it step by step. And, uh, you know... We have potential, for instance, for mines in this country, but uh, to get a mine in China doesn't require a lot of time. Same in Africa. To get a mine in Canada takes three years. I was talking to the folks at Rio Tinto. They got a mine in Arizona. They're getting permitting. It's taken them 17 years, Mm. and they still don't have the permits. So, you know, do we want electric? Do we want renewables? then we're going to have to make some changes to the way we get our natural resources. Yeah, I want to dig into that just a little bit, uh, talking about those minerals and talking about your visit out to Rio Tinto, uh, again, part of uh, what you do when it's in-state work period, not recess. Uh, And it's this interesting thing. There was an interesting exchange between Representative Thomas Massey uh, in a House committee with Secretary Buttigieg uh, and just kind of getting to some of those realities. I think we're all for big thinking. I think we're all for out-of-the-box thinking in terms of how we can be better stewards of the land, help climate and so on. Uh, But there's sort of this big gap between big thinking and magic thinking uh, that suddenly we can just do it because we say we're going to do it. Uh, And you saw that as you've been out at Rio Tinto and other places around the state. Well, there's no question. We need copper, all right? If we're going to have an economy increasingly based on electric vehicles, uh, we need more copper for transmission lines, for more generation, for the vehicles themselves. But we don't make it easy to actually mine copper. Mm. Uh, So we got to think it through uh, to to decide what do we want and how are we going to get there. And, and, yeah, my my concern is that you're, you're seeing us rush ahead. Uh, given our concern about the warming of the planet, which is occurring. But we haven't thought through what steps we should take in what order. The Germans, as you indicate, started shutting down nuclear power plants. That didn't make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Now they're deciding to keep them open. I believe that long-term nuclear power will be a source of energy here, Mm -hmm. non-polluting, non-CO2 emitting. Uh, But we're going to have to start building those facilities if we want to have more electric vehicles because those vehicles require more electricity. Right. <laughs> exactly. And you know, and wind is great and solar is great, but it doesn't begin to generate the kind of power that we need 
to drive our economy and to let people have a normal lifestyle. Yeah. I want to jump real quickly to uh, another portion of the bill that was signed into law by President Biden this week, uh, and that was the additional funding uh, for IRS agents. They're coming for you. They're coming for you, Boyd. <laughs> oh, I don't make over 400000 so God, put, put oh, the rest of us oh, at ease. Oh, that's not going to happen. No, no. The IRS agents, there's no limit on who they audit. The IRS agents, their 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 bill calls for an additional eighty seven thousand new IRS agents to be hired. These are wow. these are auditors, eighty seven thousand auditors. You realize that's more than the total employment of the IRS today. So they're more than doubling mm-hmm. the employment of the IRS, and they're going out to audit everybody: big business, small business, wealthy people, modest income people. They're going everywhere. And again, in my view, the wrong direction for our government to take. We we really don't need to have Big Brother taking a a, a, a deeper dive into our personal finances. Yeah, and I, I think especially this hits uh, something that you know really well, and that is the the entrepreneurial sector. That uh, often they're the ones who can't uh, quite afford the army of uh, of accountants and auditors and lawyers to to take care of things, uh, and they seem to be the ones that will be most likely hit. Uh, with these uh, additional audits, if they're going to do an additional 1.2 million audits, I think is sort of the quota they're going after. Uh, a lot of those are going to have to be entrepreneurs and small business owners. Well, you know, I'm sure there are there are some scoff laws out there that are not paying their full taxes and finding ways to find them, uh, identify them and, and collect the taxes and, uh, you know, assess penalties. That makes all the sense in the world. Um, but uh, but in the case that you're describing, we're going to have so many auditors that they're going to be pulling people's records supposedly at random. Mm. And I hope it's at random instead of being targeted for a certain political persuasion or uh, people who've been friendly to the administration or not friendly. Uh, look, it, it's, it, it opens the door to a lot of potential mischief and one more reason not to vote for that bill. And as you know, as you pointed out, not a single Republican mm. in the House or the Senate voted for this bill. It was entirely done by Democrats. And uh, I think they're going to come to regret it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. We're going to stay with the question just a little bit longer. Senator Romney's agreed to stay with us through a second segment. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the Great Salt Lake, what's happening there in terms of environment. We'll talk about America's role in the world and talk about the future and what uh, politics looks like moving forward. Are there any principled visionaries out there that can actually lead to a different kind of conversation? Stay with us. We'll be right back on Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Side Sources. Side Sources with Lloyd Matheson. Welcome back to Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. It's great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson. We're really pleased to have joining us in studio during the in-state work period. If anyone ever calls it recess, you have to correct them. Uh, this is a time, especially for the staff of a Senate office or a House office, uh, they really earn their keep uh, traveling around the state. And Senator Romney, uh, one of the things that you've been focused on specifically to the state of Utah has been the the Great Salt Lake. Yeah, we have some real water issues in uh, in Salt Lake, but also in the southern part of our state, obviously Lake Powell and, of course, the Colorado River uh, getting uh, – dr- not dry, but uh, uh, shrinking uh, yeah. is a real concern. And with regards to the Great Salt Lake, I think there's a growing recognition, thanks in part to the mainstream media. Uh, New York Times and others have written articles saying, hey, the Great Salt Lake is getting drier and the lake bed has a lot of very dangerous and very deadly uh, – uh, ingredients in it and the dust that'll be blown up if the lake continues to shrink is a real danger. So yeah, I, I put together a piece of legislation, actually two, one to study the lake at the federal level, number two, to put the Army Corps of Engineers into the mix and have mm-hmm. them take responsibility for some of the engineering associated with the lake and 
what kinds of actions should we take to make sure that we don't see the Great Salt Lake disappear? Yeah. And we're looking at the broadest array of options. And fortunately, the, the legislature here in Utah has also taken the lead in this regard. Yeah. Uh, you know, Brad Wilson, is, the speaker, has uh, jumped on this and made sure that, that we're doing everything locally we can to understand, okay, what are we going to have to do uh, so that we don't uh, you know, allow a critical part of our community to, to disappear? Yeah, absolutely. Vital stuff there for sure. Uh, you've also been spending a lot of time of late legislatively uh, on the uh, Family Security Act. We've talked about that before. Give us a quick update there. Yeah, uh, we've got more de- more Republicans rather that have signed on to that, and uh, and I expect that we'll get some Democrats coming up uh, in the fall. The reason we've been sort of slow with our Democrat friends is because they had their own plan that President Biden proposed uh, relating to family and child care, and that did not pass. So now the Democrats are more willing to compromise. Mm-hmm. So my plan is pretty simple, which is stop the child tax credit, which people take advantage of at the end of a tax year and instead turn it into a monthly support payment to people with kids. So you get a check every month for a child. For a child that's under six years old, it's $350 a month. For one that's over that age, it's $250 a month. So the families are getting the money they need to care for the kids during the period when they uh, they have the kids at home. <laughs> and uh, it's it, it, it doesn't cost any more money because it's paid for virtually entirely by changing the t- child tax credit into this kind of a family security payment. Yeah. Okay. Great stuff in terms of the uh, policy component to, to all of that. Uh, a year ago, we had a conversation uh, about Afghanistan and obviously the, the very messy uh, and tragic pullout of the United States there. Looking back a, a year later, uh, and especially with your uh, committee assignments dealing with foreign relations, uh, what is it that you see? What is the, what is the one lesson that we should have learned uh, coming out of Afghanistan? Well, there's so many lessons. Uh, we, we should not have uh, joined into negotiations with the Taliban without having the Afghan leadership as part of those negotiations. That's that's number one. Number two, uh, we should have had some pretty tough strictures on, on how we would deal with the new government if they allowed al-Qaeda to reassert itself in, in Afghanistan. And now when we find al-Zahiri was uh, living in Kabul, um, under the Taliban, they're not following that. And, of course, number three, you have to plan things out. Mm-hmm. And the military was screaming about this, but the politicians on the right and the left said, get out, get out. It's like, guys, you got to be careful and plan these things carefully. And the Biden administration did a terrible job. I mean, I think the whole world knows that. Mm-hmm. A terrible black eye for America, but at the same time and perhaps far more damaging is the number of people who were our friends and our allies in Afghanistan mm-hmm. who've been left behind. And they will be treated uh, brutally by the Taliban. Uh, the young women that expected to be able to go on to higher education, that's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, the, the tragedy of, of Afghanistan is hard to overstate. Yeah. And uh, when you look at what the situation on the ground was, 2,500 uh, military people uh, were really there. And, and it's amazing to me that 2,500 people could create that much stability in a very unstable place. Uh, what does that tell us about the the influence that the United States can have? Obviously, not being the police to the world, uh, but there is a, a place for American influence around the world. Well, the reason we're involved in the real world, the reason we have troops that are stationed in the world is to try and prevent awful things from happening, which, by the way, impact us as well as the yeah. people elsewhere. We do things out of, out of self-interest. I'm not pretending that everywhere we are, we're just there for other people. No, we're there because America is better off if we can trade with other people. And if there aren't wars that lead to us getting sucked in or attacked. So we're there to try and prevent bad things from happening. 
And uh, and in the case of the the uh, of Afghanistan, you're right. Twenty five hundred people combined with hundreds of thousands of Afghan military personnel mm. were able to keep some stability in the country. Yeah. When we pulled out, the Afghan military knew, OK, Americans have withdrawn. They've abandoned us. Run for the hills. Yeah. Uh, and the country quickly fell. Yeah. Uh, and that is the the tragedy of that. And uh, again, I, I think uh, I, I'm one of those who still believes that it's the women of Afghanistan that ultimately they've tasted freedom. They've been in leadership, even in government. Uh, they're now doing underground schools and, and going at things. And I, I think that's the I think that's the last spark, I think, that there is in Afghanistan. Uh, but as you look forward, uh, what should the United States be doing? Obviously, we've got things going on in Ukraine and Taiwan. Uh, what is the right place and the right posture uh, to make sure that we have the confidence of important allies around the world and that our enemies know where we stand? Well, I think you make a clear point with that last point, which is the enemies know where we stand and our allies need to know where we stand. So we've got to make it very clear what our posture is. And in my opinion, we stand with our friends uh, and we make sure that our enemies know that if they cross certain lines, that there will be repercussions. Uh, you, you have to have that kind of clarity. Um, in the case of Afghanistan, I think we were unwise in thinking we could uh, bring democracy to a people who are not really willing to fight for it on their own. Uh, one lesson we've learned is if you want freedom, the people themselves have got to earn it and fight for it. We yeah. can't we can't basically hand it to them. I mean, that's something they have to fight for. Um, if you look at Ukraine, uh, Russia badly miscalculated. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure militarily what the outcome was going to be. But I can tell you, Russia has been permanently uh, diminished, mm-hmm. uh, militarily diminished, yeah. uh, global standing diminished. Their economics are going to be severely impacted. Uh, it was a terrible miscalculation by Putin. Hopefully, we're smarter than that. But so far, the administration has done a good job collaborating with our allies, working with our European friends, friends uh, getting the armament to the Ukrainians that they need to defend themselves. Yeah, That's the better approach. Let them win their own or in this case, preserve their own freedom. Yeah, so important. Let's shift to the politics uh, of it all. Obviously, we're uh, rounding out the primary season. We're moving towards a a very big, very important uh, midterm elections coming up in the fall. Uh, What is the state of of our politics? What have we learned even just in the last 48 hours from some of these primaries? And what is it that you're looking for or that gives you hope moving into the fall? Well, I think um – you're going to continue to see us become more and more divided and campaigns tend to uh, be divisive. Uh, I think that will increase, not diminish. I wish we could become more united to agree on the major challenges we have and to address them in a logical and forthright way. Uh, we do some of that. I'm proud of the fact that some Democrats in, in the Senate and a number of Republicans and myself were able to work together on a number of pieces of legislation that have been passed. Uh, that's a good thing. But, uh, you know, I look at the uh, the campaigns going on and we, we see our Democrats moving further and further to the left, becoming more and more woke, if you will. Uh, in my party, a number of folks are moving further and further, not necessarily to the right, but more more MAGA, if you will, kind of mm-hmm. angry and resentful. And, uh, you know, resentment and anger does not build a great nation. Yeah. Uh, and so, so uh, I, you know, I hope to find more people that uh, speak with a vision for a future for America and a way to bring us together and to accomplish our uh, – overcome our challenges and accomplish the, the great objectives we have. Because, by the way – if we don't get our act together soon, China is going to run right past us mm-hmm. and be the biggest economy in the world, have a military that will dwarf ours. Think about what that would mean mm-hmm. to have our military the number two military in the world. It's not 
the kind of America I want my kids and grandkids to inherit. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, Senator, as we come down the home stretch here, uh, as you look at some of those uh, fall campaigns and obviously the uh, the big battles, of course, will be the control of the House. The, the Senate is also uh, very up in the air. Uh, what do you see? Uh, what do you hope to see? Uh, in the weeks ahead. Well, I'd like to see Republicans take the House and the Senate, okay? We're not going to get the White <laughs> we'll give House me that one. <laughs> uh, for, you know, for at least a couple of years. But the House and the Senate, uh, we got a shot. I think the House looks pretty darn good. I think the Senate is more of a toss-up. Um, I'd note that some of the people that have won the primaries are going to be a tougher lift in the general election because we tend to choose people who are uh, maybe not as mainstream as the, the independent voter might otherwise like. Mm-hmm. But but time will tell. I think we're probably going to have a closely divided Senate again. Uh, but I hope it's closely – if it's closely divided, that we Republicans are the ones in charge. <laughs> Always nice to have that deciding vote there in the Senate. Uh, and then finally, Senator, uh, over the weekend uh, you had a, an interview with Brett Baer uh, on Fox News uh, in front of the Washington, D.C. Temple before that was uh, dedicated by President Russell M. Nelson over the weekend. Uh, and, and much of that conversation led to this this place of religious freedom in the world. And, and what do those principles and values uh, mean not just for those of faith but for all Americans? Yeah, I, I think one of the great things about religion, and it's true from virtually every religion I know, is that we believe that we are all uh, sons and daughters of uh, a, a same supreme be- being, uh, and that makes us a human family. Um, and it may hopefully turn down some of the anger and resentment and mm-hmm. desire to hurt other people that sometimes fills people's minds. Abraham Lincoln talked about calling upon our better angels, and I, I hope we do that. Mm-hmm. And and uh, those those angels, if you will, are are connected to heaven. And so <laughs> a, a a society which is uh, oriented towards heaven is, in my opinion, a more peaceful, loving, and successful and prosperous society. Yeah, fantastic. Senator Mitt Romney, thanks for stopping in on a very busy uh, couple of weeks here in state work period in the state of Utah. Appreciate your work back in our nation's capital and appreciate your work right here in the state of Utah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Boyd. Good to be with you. All right. We'll step aside for bottom of the hour news. We come back. Uh, much more to come on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Stick around. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.